You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Boy, oh boy. Um, well, first of all, I'm sorry for the uh, bit of a late start here. I just woke up. It's almost 8. Well, I didn't wake up at 8. I had to take the dog out. Forgot to take the garbage out, so I had to panic rush out there barefoot, stepping on rocks, freaking out. I have no idea when garbage gets here. It's probably not going to be here for two hours, but I might have missed it last week. So I had a panic attack that I was going to miss it again and my wife was going to divorce me. But um, anyways, <laughs> it's like my one job as a, as a husband is to take the garbage out. And I uh, almost missed it two weeks in a row, which that thing is heavy. Holy cow. But um, I'm still uh, still riding a little bit of a high here, ladies and gentlemen. Um from the highest highs to the lowest lows, that was that was an absolute roller coaster. And like I said last night, why did I close that tab? I need that like right now. <laughs> like I said last night, thanks to those who jumped in on the stream, um, Packers needed that desperately. If you had, if you gave me the option to go back and say, let's fix every garbage officiating call. Let's fix every single one. And the end result would be 42 to 14. Absolute blowout of the 49ers. Do you want me to go do that? My answer would be no. I think this was such an important win for the Green Bay Packers. They needed, I mean, they needed to win the game and a blowout would have been satisfactory. But they also needed to overcome the refs. They needed to overcome the 49ers. They needed to have that moment where things were going poorly and they just needed to stay strong, stay the course, stay smart, make adjustments. All the things that we say the Packers can't do, especially in a in a hostile environment up against a really good head coach, a really good defensive coordinator, on the road, in California, a really good football team, a really good defensive line, all the stuff they're not supposed to be able to do. You know, I mean, it's one thing to go up early and get a lead. It's another thing to stop the flow of destruction. Because we all felt it. As soon as, as soon as, and, and this is how kind of pathetic it is, as soon as there was that bad kickoff return, right, everything started going south. Because of one play, we started seeing Aaron Rodgers throw bad passes, Devontae having drops, defense giving up more rushing yards, defense not getting as much pressure, defense not doing as much coverage. And we all felt the team just giving up. And again, in that environment, with all the, the, the stuff, with, with everything, it just, they needed to be able to say, all right, we're going to stop the flow. We're going to stop this tide. And, and credit to the defense for whatever complaints are out there, and I've seen a couple. Credit to the defense and the offense, and special teams for that matter, for tightening it up, 
despite the fact that the defense was starting to show cracks a little bit, they still were able to get turnovers. They still were able to get the team off the off the field. They were still able to get pressure. They didn't just lay down and die like we've seen them do so many times. They fought back. And it was a tough fight. I mean, you know, you win some, you lose some. They started giving up first downs, but then they come through in the clutch. Offense, same thing. We started to see a little hero ball. Aaron Rodgers drops back and unloads. Aaron Rodgers misses a pass. Aaron Rodgers misses another one. Aaron Rodgers drops back and unloads, and we're punting. It's like, here we go. We're abandoning the run, which has been working quite well. Aaron Rodgers is playing hero ball. But then somehow they just stopped. They stopped being weird. They stopped playing poorly. They stopped dropping passes, throwing bad passes, making bad calls, bad decisions, and and started making good decisions. And the offensive line didn't quit. They kept blocking, and the running backs didn't quit. They kept running. Dylan looked great. Aaron Jones looked great. Rodgers suddenly goes from falling apart to getting mentally strong again and throwing some of the more pretty passes I've ever seen. They're not supposed to do this, but they did. It was so unbelievably important for this team. And and not just that, but the way everything's gone, all the narratives that are building up, the fact that the Packers are already not getting respect, that are already considered washed. You know, Matt LaFleur can't beat good coaches or, you know, Rodgers can't have make comebacks or, you know, whatever, whatever the narrative is, they were supposed to lose this game in 10 different ways and to win a physically tough matchup. Another thing they're not supposed to be able to do, they can't beat physical teams. They can't beat tough teams. They did mentally and physically difficult game and they fought back and they won and again even special teams were mad about that one play and it was a bad one but it was one play and every single time Mason didn't kick it through the field goal post I was furious because it's like dude you gotta you gotta start doing some squats on the sideline or something my dude because I you gotta stop kicking it to the to the goal line but he kicked it to the goal line every time and guess what our unit stopped him short almost every time I was mad and I was scared, but they kind of came through. Bajorquez did a fantastic job. And of course, Mason won us the game. And, and, you know, you got blocking, you got holding, you got snapping, and you got kicking in that. Special teams won us that game at the end of the day. So again, it's one of those things where everybody was down. Special teams looked bad, defense looked bad, offense looked bad for for a period. But they all fought back and they all came back and they all won this game despite all the circumstances, 90% of which, and I mean 90% of which, is the officials. And the fact that the 49ers are complaining about officiating right now makes me want to lose my ever-loving mind. I have never seen in my life a worse officiating, officiated game. The, the Seahawks' fail Mary, was it, it doesn't scratch the surface of how bad this game was. I'm not even kidding. It, it was so unbelievably bad. I wish I had a list because I keep forgetting, but it wasn't just how bad the officiating was necessarily. For example, the Eric Stokes thing, that's a pretty common poor call. It was a bad call, but it's not unusual. When you see a receiver falling down and a defender's hand on that receiver at the time, which is not a penalty, you can have your hand on him as long as you're not pushing him. But the guy was falling and his hand was on him. There wasn't, I mean, you can see, I mean, pushing is extension. Plus the guy was already, again, falling before the hand got there. So it's pretty obvious that he didn't initiate the falling, but that was critical. I believe somebody told me it was like a third and 15 because I was doing the stream yesterday. I said, I think it was third down. They said, yeah, it was third and 15. So in other words, that would have been a punt. That takes points off the board. One of the, well, there was, obviously Devante was the worst, but in terms of impact on the game, we're mad about that uh, special teams blunder. There should never have been seven points. There never should have been seven points on that drive because I believe there was three seconds left and Jimmy Garoppolo burned the ball into the ground. That's intentional grounding. 
Intentional grounding will occur and will cause a 10-second runoff. Like many offensive penalties, intentional grounding committed near the end of either half results in a 10-second runoff of the game clock if the defense desires. This ensures that intentional grounding is not an effective means of clock management. There are three seconds left. That's the end of the half. 17-0 was the score. Seven of the 49ers' points, even though Jimmy Garoppolo wants to complain that he was trying to throw the ball out of bounds, which, by the way, I don't think that matters. I didn't even listen to it, but uh, I think JJ sent me a clip He was mad because he was trying to throw the ball out of bounds. The pass went backwards, which is a lateral pass, which is a fumble, essentially. And we recovered the ball. And he's like, well, I meant to throw it out of bounds. It doesn't matter. It's like if you throw a a backwards pass to a receiver and he drops it and we or and and he and it for some reason you burn it into the ground, you can't say, well, I meant to throw it to the receiver. So it doesn't count. I mean, this is the kind of ticky tack stuff they're trying to do. Well, at the same time, that guy literally should never have gotten any any points before the half. It was it literally was 17 to 0. If the NFL wanted to, they should be able to deduct the points right now. Because why not? It didn't happen. We can I mean, th- there are certain things you can look at like for example, um even let's say that 3rd and 15. Well, if they didn't get that 3rd and 15, then they would have punted, then they could da, da, da. Well, they could just say, "Well, we would have gone for it on fourth down and we could have scored." So you don't actually know that we wouldn't have gotten any points. And that's sort of fair, even though it's fairly unlikely. But it's it's you, you can't physically take the points off. That penalty directly takes seven points off the board. And the other thing that drives me nuts, and this happens with all of the penalties, why is there no ability for referees to, to change their mind? Somebody mentioned in the comments of my stream yesterday, you're not allowed to use replay review, which apparently also means the scoreboard. Because there's always coaches looking up at the board, and why wouldn't you want to? Don't you want to get this right? With the Devontae hit, if they're showing a replay of the hit on the board, and they clearly are because the head coach is pointing at it, Aaron Rodgers is pointing at it, they're showing it. Don't you have any interest in going, man, I wish I could have seen that. I wish I had a better angle, which is the excuse that we heard last night on television. Well, you see, it's weird. They changed the rule, and he didn't have a good vantage point for it. I'm sorry. I've seen these referees throw flags every single time a guy gets laid out cold, even if there was almost no contact. That could have been his elbow, but because his elbow hit him in the head and he's out cold, they're throwing a flag automatically. When there's a collision, by the way, you can see the ball isn't there, and then you see a collision, and then you see Devontae on the ground. But let's pretend that this ref just completely was blanketed by the defender, couldn't see the ball, couldn't see his head, couldn't see anything. And he's just going, well, he probably knocked him out cold with his helmet, but I guess I don't know, so I won't throw my flag. Which again, not a horrible precedent to set, but since when is that the precedent in the NFL? These these flag-happy uh, referees. But again, why is it impossible for them to just glance up and go, oh, dude, that's definitely a penalty and throw the flag? You can't accidentally glance up and recognize that that is the right call in that situation. How about the intentional grounding? Again, same thing. You know the circumstances of the play. You know what the the time on the clock was. You know where Jimmy Garoppolo had pressure. You know where Jimmy Garoppolo was when he threw it. You know where the ball landed. And you know there were no wide receivers in the area. Even if it didn't occur to you that that's grounding at the moment, when the entire Packers team is screaming, that's intentional grounding, Why does nobody have the ability to stop and go, oh, wait a minute, and then pull the referees together, confer together, talk about it, and say, hey, um, he was in the box when he threw that, right? Yep, he was. Where did the ball go? Uh, Not to the line of scrimmage. That was right at, there was like three linemen there. Was there a wide receiver, a tight end? Nope. Okay, flag it is. But they didn't even want to talk about it. 
And it's so critical to this game. It's so unbelievably critical to this game. Why do referees not have that ability? It's just like if you don't, if it doesn't occur to you, and even if the the team is screaming at you, you never stop and think, oh man, maybe let's let's talk about it. Let's think about it. Let me let me think about that because I what I did saw kind of kind of seemed like grounding, and I, even though it never occurred to me. And the announcers, and, and you know, I'm I'm so sick of Packer fans defending announcers. I'm really tired of it. Those guys are all trash. I don't know why they're all trash against the Packers, but every single sportscaster hates the Packers. Apparently, it's so unbelievable. They're gushing over the Chicago Bears yesterday. Justin Fields looked like absolute hot garbage. Despite the pressure, I don't care about the pressure, but all they did was gush all over him and nothing was his fault. And he did a great job recovering that fumble. And, you know, I mean, what do you expect when there's this much pressure, which by the way, about half of that pressure was his fault. But then you get to the Packer game, there were two blatant pass interference calls that the Packers did get. And the announcer spent the whole time talking about that wasn't catchable. Do you know why it wasn't catchable? You absolute idiot. Because when you grab and pull on a guy's arm, it slows him down, and the ball sails over the guy's head, and then suddenly it looks uncatchable. But you know what? If he wasn't grabbing and pulling at him, he might have had a shot. If there wasn't a literal arm bar for the last 10 yards down the field, maybe Aaron Rodgers doesn't misgauge his speed, right? Maybe he's looking at MVS and saying, I know where to put this for MVS in a straight line when he's not being arm barred for 10, 15 yards. But he was. And yeah, it's right. Because of that, it sailed over his head. But guess what? Still a penalty, you absolute idiot. You can't do that. You can't grab and pull a guy's arm. Like Eric Stokes, one of his penalties, he he reached around the guy's stomach. That's a penalty. Oh, shucks. The second one absolutely wasn't. That was the refs being stupid. But the, the these guys, and then that Jair, unbelievable. What, what is it with the Packers getting, roughing the passer calls? We've already had one against Z that was terrible. That was, that was on par with anything Clay Matthews ever got hit with. Clay Matthews, got destroyed by a bunch of penalties that never should have been penalties. Now Zadarius is getting it. I mean, was there some kind of like NFL thing that happened that we just don't know about? Like there was some secret behind the scenes thing where they were like voting on certain things and the Packers like told the teacher or something? Like, did they rush to the media and tell somebody some kind of a horrible thing? Were they responsible for this concussion stuff? Did they come forward? Because everybody hates the Packers right now. You got guys like Mike Lombardi calling him Matt LaF. You've got the sportscasters hate him. The refs seem to hate him. The media seems to hate him. Everybody hates the Green Bay Packers. And I just, again, I'm just confused. I don't understand why. What, what is happening? That was not roughing the passer. That was, that was a bang-bang play even in slow motion. And he barely grazed the quarterback. And, and instead of the announcers looking at it going, geez, another freaking bad call. What is with the refs today? They're looking at it going, well, Jair's not an edge rusher. And if, if he did that professionally, he would have known that's against the rules. It's not against the rules, stupid. He didn't do anything wrong, doofy. And then, and then I was so, so angry. They, they went through, remember that whole charade they went through where they were showing... The 49ers back in the 90s and how, you know, you got to keep your head straight uh, because then, you know, you're, you're basically looking off the defender and then last minute you look to your right and throw the ball. And they're like, and now Jimmy Garoppolo's doing it. And they showed the replay. He stared down the receiver the whole time. He didn't look at you, well, but because his head's forward, I think it was the Jair touchdown. Because his head's forward, uh, Jair's not paying attention and, and, and whatever. And then, then he throws the ball and it just throws the whole defense off. They showed the replay from the vantage point of the receiver. Jimmy G looked at that receiver the entire time. His head wasn't forward. He was staring at the guy. These guys suck at their job, and I'm tired of it.
It's like they they just had that clip queued up, and they're just waiting, like, please look forward before you throw a pass. Please look forward before you throw a pass. And they thought they had one, but apparently they didn't know that they had that clip, and that was the clip they were going to be showing. Because overhead, yeah, it looks like his head is forward, but from the vantage point of the pylon, nope, he's looking at the receiver the whole time. Ugh. Again, worst officiated game I've ever seen in my life. And, and, and again, the worst part about it is it seemed like the referees got more anti-Packers as the game went on. As Matt LaFleur started getting more and more upset, they started throwing more and more flags and ignoring, like, the Devontae. They threw the flag on Jair almost immediately after Devontae. Like, usually you get, like, a gimme after that. Usually if they make a mistake, and again, I don't know why they can't just change their mind. I mean, after the play, if the next play runs, you can't go backwards. I get that, but in real time, you can't change your mind. But again, usually you start getting those gimmies. Like, all right, we messed up. Uh, we're going to call a ticky-tack call, and on, on, you know that next third-down conversion that they get, we're going to throw a holding call because we can get a, we can call a holding pretty much whenever we want because there's a holding every play. We just let most of it go. Nope, they went the opposite direction. They apparently were so mad at the Packers constantly screaming in their ear that they're like, we're just going to keep throwing flags against the Packers because we're mad at you. And that's the kind of stuff that, you know, a lot of people are saying we should be able to hold these guys accountable. I think that's a little bit of a slippery slope, depending on what we're talking about. You don't want to trash these guys for every single bad call and drag them before a committee or, or you know, threaten their jobs or make them give public apologies or whatever the case may be, dock their pay for every single bad call. But a game like this, there has to be some level of accountability. There, has to, there should be some kind of a thing set up where if a game is this bad to where it really ru- ruins the product and they almost... The 49ers lost this game handily. They almost handed the game to the 49ers just by because of terrible officiating. If I'm if I am the NFL commissioner, I'm going to make absolutely sure that if games are won and lost based on the officials or basically nearly were handed to the to the losing team, we're going to have to have some kind of a thing. We're going to have to sit down. We're going to have to talk about some stuff because this is this is so unbelievably unacceptable. The, the level of damage done to the product because of a, a, of a game officiated that poorly is completely unacceptable. And what, whatever happened to, I remember we were talking before about how there were basically refs that were going to be in New York that were just watching the game that were able to basically throw flags. What happened to that? Why, why don't we have, because again, I understand we can't use replay. Fine. But isn't there a guy in New York watching this game? Can't he call down and, and say, you know, 10 seconds after when there's no flag, like, you better pull that flag out of your pocket, dude, because he just got hit on the side of the head with the top of somebody's helmet, and it was late. Nobody in New York was watching the game and said, dude, that's intentional grounding, throw the flag. And, and, and what, what is the negative of that? I understand we don't want, like, everything to be a flag. Fine. But isn't, don't we have that in place right now? just to prevent things like this and even even bad calls like with Stokes they've got all the replays and all the referees are already conferring they're already come together in a big huddle why isn't somebody in their ear going "Mm, not pick it up man why isn't that a thing but anyways we got a lot of ground to cover um I want to get to some stats some more specific thoughts personally on um the Green Bay Packers players, I just want to run through their roster and kind of give my thoughts, I guess, um, unsolicited before we get to PFF, because obviously they'll give us more information, but I don't think we'll have that today. That'll be for tomorrow, uh, stats, snaps, um, grades, etc. If there's time, I'd like to comment a little bit about the uh, some of the other games, not all of them, but uh, at least the Bears and stuff, because that's hilarious. And also, we got some giveaways to take care of. So after the break, we'll, uh, we'll do the giveaways. Not only do we have... Um, the uh, Twitter giveaway, but I want to go through our prop bets. And again, I still don't know what the winner's going to get. 
Um, but I think what I'm going to do this first time around, I could do the Deguara thing, but I don't want to just do our last two giveaways like today. And again, I'm kind of iffy on that because I think they really want us to do a lot of pumping on social media. And if I'm just hiding it on Patreon, I feel like they're going to get upset about that. But we'll we'll do something cool because I'm pretty sure I got I to gotta, I gotta look at it. I'm pretty sure there are a couple different winners uh, for the prop bets. Could be wrong, though. Maybe there's none. I don't know. But we'll do that on the other side of the break as well as look at a few other things. Thank you very much to all my new patrons. We are up over 260. We're at 261 right now, which is just awesome. Um, the amount of support that I've been getting is just incredible. Thank you very, very much to uh, Gary, who upped his pledge. Um, again, I'm thinking he might be my highest. I don't think anybody gives more per month than Gary does, so I really appreciate you. Uh, thank you to Caleb Gibbs for jumping on board, as well as John Began. Very excited to have you guys on board and supporting the uh, the podcast and everything else. Also, thank you very much to everybody that supported those streams, those live streams, man. It's it's weird because the number one goal is to get more subscribers. And as the subscribers go up, your videos get more views. And as your videos get more views, you get more revenue. Um, and the live streams are getting me almost no new subscribers, which is kind of sad and depressing and everything. And I'm not really sure why, but it it's just not. Um, last year, I was growing like crazy. I think it's mostly because of the draft content. I don't know, but... The amount of, of uh, donors and, and everything is, I mean, I'm, I'm making a lot more per, per view than, than pretty much anybody on YouTube. It's insane. But uh, I just want to give a special shout out and thanks to anybody and everybody that supported that stream, all the super chats, whether it's a dollar, two dollars, or uh, yesterday getting the hundred dollar super chat was pretty incredible. So thank you guys all for all the different kinds of support that you provide. And uh, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, folks, moment of truth for the Twitter giveaway, giving away the Devontae Adams jersey. And um, pretty awesome timing because he had a fantastic game. Does he get game ball? I don't know. I mean, if you said that that's who you wanted to give game ball to, I would support you in that. Could give it to a lot of guys. I think Rodgers deserved it. You could pick a guy along the offensive line or just tell him to split a ball. I don't know, but um, definitely an option. But we had, and yes, I'm doing this live, we had 60 retweets, 60 of them. So I was very happy to see that. Only a couple people can't follow the rules and decided not to follow me, but retweeted anyway, so they are obviously disqualified. But thank you very much to everybody else. I think it was just one guy, so sucks to be that guy, I guess, because I was just about to pick him. Oh, gosh, golly. Anyways, all right, throw these in a spreadsheet real quick. Pick a number between, there we go. Do a number, randomizer, generizer, whatever. Number 19 it is, and number 19 is uh, Marky Mark? Marky at at... Mark Musgrave 3, III, the third. Mark Musgrave the third, Esquire. TikTok Supreme Sports. You know who you are. Come on down, brother man. Host of Supreme Packers Podcast. Said something about TikTok, but I don't see a TikTok in your link tree, dude. Can make me Google Supreme Sports TikTok. Dang, you got some views, man. Anyways, we could, we could, we could talk about collaboration later, but congratulations. 
You won yourself a uh, signed Devontae Adams jersey. Just reach out to me, and uh, if you wouldn't mind showing verification that you did sign up at Pristine Auction. Word to the wise, don't reach out and say, I forgot, I'm sorry, I'm stupid. Just go do it, and then get back to me. Make sure you use promo code Packernet, or I will throw a wrench at your abdomen. It'll leave a mark, man. Not saying I'll do it real hard, but it's not going to feel good. Wrenches are heavy. But uh, very, very happy for you, man. But just make sure you get back to me quickly. Uh, If anybody wants to be cool, maybe reach out to the guy. I don't think I'm going to because, I mean, you got to be listening to the show, man. But let's take a look at what our prop bets were and see if anybody actually uh, got these. So Packers win by 10 or more was one of them. Obviously, that didn't happen with a nail-biter field goal win. A.J. Dillon scores the first touchdown. That did not happen. Defense scores a touchdown. That was close, but no cigar. Jair was flying, man. (laughs) Aaron Jones runs for 100 yards. He ran for 82. That was close. Rodgers throws for 300 yards. He had 261. Man, I thought he was going to crack 300. That was such a big... He had so many big throws. But then, Rashawn had two sacks. Did Did he have one or did he have two? Preston had one... Rashawn, it said, had 0.5, so we'll count that as one. So we did not have one. I thought we were I thought Rashawn had two. Well, if if PFF disputes that and gives them two, because they don't do half, so maybe there was like that's one and they credit him with another one. I don't know. We'll use PFF as the official metric on that one, but otherwise it doesn't look like we had anybody win. Some very close ones. Um Packers did win. Packers did get a couple turnovers. Jair had the pick, and then there was obviously the scoop and scoop and you know, potentially could have scored. Jones was a couple yards short. Rodgers was a few yards short, like 39 yards. But anyways, we'll do that again. That was fun. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly kind of stunned. I thought for sure somebody was going to win something. But um, again, we'll, we'll consult PFF. It doesn't sound like there's going to be any more than one. But um, if that comes through, then it is what it is. But uh, anyways, while we're on it, let's just rip through a couple of these stats. Aaron Rodgers, again, I thought he had an unbelievable game. Um, 19 fantasy points or whatever that's worth, but 23 of 33, 261 yards, 7.9 average, two touchdowns, no interceptions, 47 yards was his longest pass. Um, he's only sacked once, which is maybe the story of the game, if I'm being completely honest. 113.3 passer rating. That's compared to Jimmy Garoppolo, 25 of 40, which is uh, not as good. 257 yards, 6.4 average, two touchdowns and a pick. 39 yards was his long. He was sacked four times. Imagine that. Aaron Rodgers sacked once against the 49ers defensive line. Our defensive line with no Zadarius, four sacks. Passer rating, 87.2. Um, some insights on Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers' score in the fourth quarter was his 418th passing touchdown of his entire career, the most by any player in their first 200 games in the NFL history. Not a surprising stat, but a record nonetheless, and it's very, 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 very good to see for Mr. Aaron Rodgers. You just you got to be happy for just the way everything went down. That's crazy. Um, PFF, they don't have any of their grades or anything yet, but their comment on the quarterback, let's just read through this because since we're doing one position at a time, it says, uh, Green Bay Packers quarterback, decisive, efficient, and clutch are all perfect words to describe Rodgers' Sunday night performance in San Francisco. The 2020 MVP finished with an average time to throw of 2.05 seconds. You want to talk about a freaking game plan. You want to talk about execution. You know, it's one thing to say it, but you got to go out and do it. 2.05 seconds. That's why there's no sacks. I mean, credit to the offensive line. They did a great job, and there were plenty of times when he stood in the pocket and had time. But 2.05 seconds. Holy cow. Goes on to say the quickest single-game figure he has ever recorded since PFF started recording that data point. Aaron Rodgers' quickest average time to throw in-game since 2011 
2017 week four against Chicago, 229. 2011 week 12 at Detroit, 227. 2020 week one against Minnesota, 225. 2013 week two against Washington was 211. And then this week, two, uh, 2021 week three against San Francisco, 2.05 seconds average time to throw. That's ridiculous. Goes on to say Rodgers also completed eight of the 15 pass attempts and traveled uh, that traveled 10 plus yards downfield for 191 yards and a score with four of those eight completions coming on third down. Rodgers finished the night with five big-time throws. That's unbelievable. I don't know if I've ever seen that. Five big-time throws in a performance reminiscent of last season's MVP winning campaign. That's the biggest takeaway there. That was as good as any game Rodgers played last year, in my opinion. I mean, it really was. Again, there were a couple little errant things here and there, so his grade probably is going to be a little bit lower, but I mean, if, if we're concerned about it, and, and you know, you got to sustain those games if you're going to be back-to-back MVP or whatever it is, and I'm not even necessarily worried about that, but my concern is I just don't want him to regress. I mean, if, if that's Aaron Rodgers in general right now, he hasn't declined at all. That was, again, that was on par with anything we saw last year. Some of those throws were, I mean, right off the gate, the, the clutch throw to uh, Alan Lazard was right in the bucket. The deep throw to MVS, he had a little bit of separation, but still, that was right in his arms. Um, the other MVS touchdown over the outstretched arms of the defender with just a tiny little window to throw into. That was one of the prettiest passes I've ever seen. The throw to Devontae in the middle of the field, again, right over the outstretched arms. A couple of those back shoulders to Devontae. I mean, those two are just in sync. Devontae and Rodgers were just on fire. I mean, you hear about some of those days where Rodgers and Devontae are killing it in the preseason or, I mean, in training camp, they're just picking on guys. They're just in such good rhythm. That was this game. I mean, they were just unstoppable. There was the one pass on third down where it was just the pass wasn't exactly there and the defender was just locked into him that was never going anywhere but um I mean for the most part that they were so locked in it was just absolutely insane uh looking at the running backs Aaron Jones 17 fantasy points 19 carries 82 yards 4.3 average one touchdown 12 yards was his longest carry AJ Dillon uh, six carries, 18 yards, three yard average, uh, six yards was his long. I mentioned about AJ Dillon. It doesn't feel like he's fully in his groove yet. Um, I think he needs to get more carries, but I thought he looked better today. The only thing I haven't really seen from him is that top speed because he's got some speed. He's, he's very hesitant. He's kind of slow and plodding right now, which I don't necessarily mean that in a negative, but I think as far as his role as it is now, which of course we'd love to have him be Derek Henry and have Aaron Jones at the same time on the same team. He's just not quite there yet. But what for what he is, a, a change of pace guy that gives Aaron Jones a breather, he's, he does a fantastic job. His ability to take a two-yard carry and push it into four or five yards is really incredible. Um, he's also done a fantastic job as a receiver. I mean, he doesn't get a ton of opportunities, but I mean, when he gets open, he's there and he catches everything thrown at him and he's going to bully for another couple yards. I think it's a great little wrinkle. So um, I thought I thought the running backs did great. I thought Aaron Jones looked phenomenal, especially down the stretch. His his ability. I mean, he's so fast. I mean, he gets that ball and takes off like a rocket, and I love it because it's like I think it's on purpose. By the way, they kind of let the edge rushers get around the corner, and they just missed him every single time. But it's such a beautiful thing because you want them to commit to that pass rush because you're getting a portion of their team down the field in the wrong direction, and now it's your your the other offensive linemen who let the, those guys pass are able to move down the field and continue blocking. I mean, it's just such a pretty thing. Um, and they've been executing it to perfection. I mean, it's, those guys get around the corner and they almost get Aaron Jones, but he's just like a rocket. He flies down there and he's so he's just so decisive. And that's what makes him so lethal is unlike A.J. Dillon right now, he doesn't stop and think. He just goes. He goes and he flows. And if, man, if 
Dylan could ever do that. That would be ridiculous because the only problem with Aaron is that he goes down on first contact. The guy grabs his thigh and he just goes, he's a smaller guy. But um, man, for, for all the concerns about guys getting paid and not showing up, he's uh, that's back-to-back games where that guy has been critical to our success. Um, conversely, the 49ers had almost no success on the ground. They had a couple carries that took some chunks, but um, the you've got... Uh, where are we at? Trey Sermon had 10 carries for 31 yards. Kyle Juszczyk had five carries for 14 yards. So that's 3.1 average and 2.8 average. Um, nobody else carried the ball more than twice. So it was basically just Trey Sermon and Kyle Juszczyk running the ball. And um, they combined for 45 yards. Otherwise, you had Kittle carried one for nine. Garoppolo had one for four. Ayuk had one for eight. Samuel had two for zero yards. And Trey Lance had one for one yard. Obviously, that was a touchdown, but still, I mean, that. and, and again, it's it just coming down to this is another narrative. Our defensive line is terrible. Our defensive tackles are terrible. We can't stop the run. The 49ers have one of the best rushing teams in football. I mean, everything about this says the Packers are going to get annihilated on the ground, and yet this was an unbelievable performance. In fact, let me look at a little bit of history here. In total, they ran for 67 yards. Uh, against the Eagles, they ran for 117. Against the Lions, 131. They ran for less yards last year only three times, one of which, again, the Green Bay Packers, who beat them, uh, they ran for 55 yards. Against Seattle, 52 yards, and against New Orleans, 49 yards. I think the Packers have been getting a bad rep for run defense for a long time. Um, I understand usually by the end of the game, and, and a lot of time it's garbage time at the end, they're, they're starting to get chunks, and they do need to do a better job of not letting things get out of hand toward the end of the of the game. But I think they do generally, maybe not the start of this year, but generally do a very good job stopping the run. And this is, so for the 49ers, two years in a row now, they're, they're the, the most difficult team to run against has been the Packers. 55 yards last year was the third lowest, and then they start off this year with 67 total yards rushing the ball. Again, at some point, give the folks a little bit of credit, maybe. it's Again, it's fine to criticize when things are wrong, and, and we do it, right? But when when things are dominant, despite the fact that it doesn't go with our narrative that we have terrible linebackers and def- terrible defensive tackles and everything else, show some love when it's due. Uh, Joe Barry deserves a lot of love, especially for all the Packer fans saying the guy should be fired or whatever else we're talking about Joe Barry. He needs a little bit of love today. It's time to humble ourselves and be like, you know what? That was a great performance. I'm still skeptical or whatever whatever the case may be. Um, I'm leaning more toward optimistic than skeptical, but both of those things exist. But um, anyways... Fantastic. Uh, a couple insights for the uh, the running backs. For some reason, these read weird, but Aaron Jones it says, Aaron Jones' score in the second quarter was his 48th career touchdown. No other Green Bay Packer has more than 42 in their first five seasons in the Super Bowl era. And I went back and read that a couple times, wondering if it was for running backs only. He has 42 touchdowns in five, or 48 touchdowns in five seasons, leading the entire Green Bay Packers franchise. You know how many good players we've had <laughs> in this franchise history? You know how many years there's been a team here? I just, you know, on the list of guys criminally underrated, Aaron Jones, and and it's hard to call him underrated because he is loved and he is generally respected, but he's just not respected enough. He just isn't. It's, it's kind of similar to Devontae where, you know, he was like a top three, top five guy for a long time, but it wasn't until 2020 that people finally were like, all right, Devontae is the man. And again, because Devontae always had respect. Everybody liked Devontae, but he was just in a pile of generally very good guys. 
And then when 2020 happened, that's when everyone's like, all right, this dude is, and now he's seen as like one of the, one of the elite premier guys, but he needed to have that 2020 year. Aaron Jones, I don't know what it's going to take, but he, but he just belongs in, in better conversation than, than he's generally in. Uh, PFF's comment on the running back says Green Bay's rush attack wasn't much of a help in this huge run win, but at least it got better production on the ground than it did in weeks one and two. The Packers tallied zero explosive runs of 10 plus yards over the first two weeks of the season, but had three from Aaron Jones this week. Uh, receiving stats, Devontae, 18 targets in this game. And here's the thing. We had a lot of people complaining about that. I had people on Twitter and on the live stream complaining. Listen, you can be mad at a guy for staring down a receiver if it's not working, right? I mean, if he's staring down Devontae and trying to throw to him and it's not working, that's a reason to be upset. It doesn't make any sense to be mad that he's staring down Devontae and it's working. Why do you want him to stop? I don't understand the logic behind that. Well, he's just targeting Devontae all the time. Right. 18 targets, 12 receptions, 132 yards and a touchdown. What what are you mad about? He shouldn't have done that. You you want him you wish he'd thrown more to what? MVS? That's what you want. To, I don't I just I don't get why you're mad about it. Again, if it's not working, fine. But the the bottom line is Devontae Adams is a massive mismatch in this game. And the point is we got to get the ball out quickly. We got to win our This is what I said prior to the game, by the way. Remember what I said about how every other team exploits everybody else's weaknesses. Why can't we exploit other teams' weaknesses? Why is it when we have elite wide receivers against their trash corners and and they have a, a really good defensive line against our beat-up offensive line, why do we just assume that they're going to win their matchup, but we can't win ours? Why can't we win our one-on-ones? We did. Our guys beat their guys, and that's the whole point. Devontae was such an unbelievable mismatch, and he just kept winning. And every time he was by himself, which psychotically was a lot... Rodgers looks over, sees one-on-one matchup with the best wide receiver in football up against some complete nobody. I mean, you got to understand, they, they had nobody coming in, and then Kwan Williams got hurt, and then uh, Josh Norman got hurt. So he's looking at one-on-one matchups with some really bad corners. And he, yeah, yes, before the ball gets snapped, he knows he's throwing to Devontae. I guess we should shoot him. I don't know. <laughs> You know, and yeah, sometimes it leads to, you know, you're staring the guy down. But the point is, at that point, you're trusting your ability and Devontae's ability to find a way to win. Even if he's covered, I can put the ball in the right spot and he can come back and get that. We're going to win this matchup most of the time. And a couple times it didn't work, but I'm not mad at 18 targets, 12 receptions, 132 or 132 yards, 34 fantasy points. Um, Aaron Rodgers caught one of his own passes, so he uh, lost four yards. Way to go. Should have just batted it down, but heat of the moment. Plus, he didn't know a guy was coming up next to him. Maybe he thought he could catch it and take off for a few. I don't know. But Aaron Jones caught two uh, two targets, two receptions, 14 yards. MVS, four targets, three receptions, 59 yards. Great to get him involved with his 14.8 yards per reception. Alan Lazard, one target, one reception for 42 yards. He's probably leading the NFL in yards per reception right now, um, which is why it's a silly stat to begin with. A.J. Dillon, two targets, two receptions, eight yards. Tunyon had one for six. Josiah had one for four. Randall Cobb, one target, zero reception. So still haven't quite got Randall involved. Amari isn't involved, but but uh, I was smiling from ear to ear because they started bringing him on those jet sweeps. And the great thing about that is they're setting it up. And it's like, well, they didn't end up using it, so what good is it? Because they put it on tape for the Steelers. And the Steelers now have to dedicate time to it. And they may not dedicate a ton, 
But that's now a thing that everybody has to prepare for. And the thing is, they're just going to keep him coming, and they're very rarely going to throw to him. They're going to bring him on those sweeps, but once in a while, they're going to hand it to him. Once in a while, they're going to snap it, and they're going to throw it to him. Once in a while, they're going to snap it, fake throw it to him, come back the other way, and it's a screen. Sometimes you know, sometimes it's a, a jet sweep, and it's a, a run play, you're right? And sometimes it's a deep shot. They can do anything, but the point is you have no idea, and you got to be paying attention. And you get those linebackers peeking and sneaking and everything else, and it's just it's such a beautiful thing. All that just because a couple times we had Amari Rodgers run across the field. And the thing is, you can look at it and go, so what? It doesn't mean anything. He's still a talented guy. I know he hasn't hit his stride, but he's he's built like Debo Samuel, who was a freak in this game. He's so strong and so physical, it's insane. But if you're just going to say, forget it, we're not going to pay attention to that because he's a scrub and the Packers don't even want to use him anyways, okay, well then they're going to throw it to him. And remember, the Packers are very good at blocking. And if this guy's got some blocking and he's got an alley to run through, I mean, if nothing else, he's A.J. Dillon. He's the big boy running back on the side of the field. And um, he can break a couple arm tackles and turn that, uh, you know, turn that into an easy five. So, I mean, if I'm the Packers, I'm drilling that a little bit. I'm saying, hey, listen, we got that on tape. We we got him out there. We're kind of using it. Let's let's plan on utilizing that a little bit. Let's let's work a couple different and again work all those different things. You got Amari coming across the formation. Set up the blocks. Throw it to him. See what you can get. You know, come back the other time with a run. Come back the next time with a, a pass the other direction with a screen with a deep shot with all these different things. Let's just work that in and let's let that become a more regular part. You know, that jet motion kind of thing becomes a regular part of your offense. And it's just it, you can do a million different things just from that one play. It's on tape. Prepare for that to be a thing from now on. And again, it doesn't mean Amari's going to be a a major factor from now on. It just means that teams have to now prepare for that. And as soon as the Packers see that they just don't care, and they're like, you're not going to throw it, they're going to throw it. (laughs) And, And that's exactly why they need to really drill it. Because they need to keep doing it and doing it and doing it until the team's like, this is stupid, they're never going to do it. And at that point, you've perfected it because you've run it so many times and actually thrown it to him. Even though you've never done it in a game, you've done it 100 times in practice. And by the time we hit it that first time, it's going to go for 40 yards. It's going to be a long episode, isn't it? Um, some game insights for the wide receivers. Dazzling Devontae. Devontae Adams has a 100-plus reception yards and one touchdown, one-plus receiving touchdown for the eighth time since 2020, which is the most uh, in the NFL. Again, the way they write most such games in the NFL, why put such? What benefit is that? Another Devontae note, uh, Devontae Adams has one-plus receiving touchdowns in 10 straight Sunday night football games, which is the longest active streak in the NFL. I, I love this team so much. It's crazy. Please, Rodgers and Devontae, come back. Just come back. Stop the drama. Stop the nonsense. Just just be like, you know what? I love this. I love football. Right? That whole thing yesterday. He says he loves football. Good. We love you. You love football. Let's keep doing this, man. I'm having so much fun. Please. Uh, PFF's note on the wide receiver tight end combo. Rodgers teamed up with his top weapon, Devontae Adams, for the for most of the game. The star wideout was targeted on 56.3% of his routes against the Niners. That's crazy. More than half the time when he ran a route, he got the ball thrown to him. The highest rate of his career by 12.5 percentage points. Devontae Adams' highest single game target rate over his career are... So the fifth highest was only 39%. 2019 against Chicago, 29%. 2020 against Houston, 41%. 2020 against Tennessee, 41.4%. 2020 uh, week nine against San Francisco, 43.8%. And then this game, 56.3%. But you know what? Again, when it's working, it's working. And that's actually one of my frustrations with the team is when something's working and we get away from it. If something's working, if we're winning a matchup, win the matchup. Force them to adjust, and then we'll figure out how to do something else. But in the meantime, I don't have to learn Jack. You got to learn something. I don't have to learn anything. You got to stop Devontae. If you're not going to figure it out, then I guess we're going to do this all day. 
Because listen, they do that to us all the time. That's the thing. Like if you're watching a game, like they started hitting Kittle over the middle over and over and over again. And the immediate thought is, dude, they're just going to keep doing it. And why wouldn't they? Because we can't find a way to stop it. Eventually we did, by the way. Kudos to Barry and this defense. But the point is, we've seen that all the time. Like the last when we got beat by the 49ers, all they did was run the ball. Why don't you do something else? Because it's working. Why would you do something else? Right when Kaepernick ran for 50 billion yards against us. Did anybody say, oh, come on, do something else? Nobody said that. Why is it Aaron Rodgers has to do something else? I don't have to do jack squat. Again, it becomes a problem when you get locked into something that isn't working, and we've seen that plenty of times. This is not one of those situations. Um, Offensive line doesn't have any stats yet. PFF will have that. I'll have that podcast for you tomorrow, and I'm really excited about it. But PFF did have a little quick note on it here. It says, Rodgers' quick release helped the Packers' offensive line, but that's not to say there wasn't room for error. Yash Nyman was left to protect Rodgers' blindside. The star left tackle David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins was out with injuries. Nyman, a 2019 undrafted free agent, entered the game with only a career pass block rep to his name. One. Uh, and to no surprise, he felt the wrath of Nick Bosa. On the first review of the game film, Nyman earned a, the second-worst single-game PFF grade by a Packers left tackle in the last five years. So that's <laughs> that's not good. I know early on he got annihilated by Bosa. I didn't see any problems later in the game, and I'll, I'll let some of the other people who want to go back and review it um, discover that. I'm guessing the Packers are going to be happy with what they saw out of uh, Nyman. But at the end of the day, even if he had a bad day, kudos to Matt LaFleur, kudos to the offensive line coaches, kudos to everybody who came up with a game plan, whether it's um, Tunyon chip-blocking Bosa, knocking him into next week, bringing in tight ends, quick passing, running the ball, all these different things, whatever it took to mitigate the fact that apparently Bosa was beating Nyman worse than any tackle has ever been beat by any other player, which is shocking because, again, every time we see that, we lose, right? When Billy Turner has the worst game ever, when Bakhtiari against, I think, the Chargers, he got annihilated by uh, Nick Bosa. We lost that game to the Chargers. When we have tackles getting annihilated by pass rushers, we lose the game. In this instance, according to PFF, Yash was getting annihilated the entire game. I didn't even notice it. So, I mean, sucks, and we probably need to get somebody in there as soon as possible, and uh, hopefully we can get a tackle in there. would be great. Elton, please, hurry. Speaking of, I just had uh, Mr. Blaine send me uh, a quote, I guess, from Tausch. I don't know if this was a recording or on Twitter or what, but it says, favorite moment of the game, Big Bad Bob pancakes Big Bad Bosa into next week. Apparently, it doesn't matter how good you are when a dude earholes you into Valhalla. It's <laughs> a good quote. Uh, and then we got uh, the defensive stats here real quick. Um, leading in tackles is Devondre Campbell. I thought Devondre had a fantastic game. Wasn't perfect, but I thought he did a great job. Um, sacks, we had one by Preston, a half sack by Rashawn. Oren Burks, Jonathan Garvin, and TJ Slayton. Everybody was really hyping up Slayton. I honestly didn't notice him. Apparently, he had a half sack. I still didn't notice him. I don't know. A lot of those were big piled-up sacks, but um, very excited to see some more in-depth stats on uh, Slayton because it's probably going to be one of those things just like Nyman. He's going to get a terrible grade, and everyone's going to freak out because they saw those two really good plays, and they're going to be mad. But either way, it's going to be great to see how they did. There's always some surprises. You know, It's one of those things where Slayton is the highest-graded player on the team or something stupid. Uh, tackles for a loss, Darnell Savage had one. Savage, I think, might have been my favorite player as far as being like underrated, nobody's talking about him. That dude was flying everywhere. That play by Debo should have been broken up, but Debo's a freak. The speed he had to fly around, um, Jair, it's hard to, I mean, that interception was ridiculous. But that that's the whole, like the speed of this team. Stokes made a couple couple errors here and there. He had the penalty and then he gave up like that one reception. But even that reception, I kind of liked in a way because 
he was trusting his speed. He kind of baited him into throwing it, and then he thought he could get there in time. You could see him playing off, and he, I mean, he got there. He just was a half, he kind of misjudged it a little bit, but that's fine. Play with those things. Judge your speed. Learn those things. I mean, some of the best defenses I remember, especially when we had a pile of really good DBs, we had guys that were so good and they trusted themselves so much, they would play off and bait the the quarterback into throwing and then they would time it and jump the route and you get a pick six. I mean, we used to jump routes left and right. You know, the 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 Al Harris, Casey Hayward, um, obviously Charles Woodson was an ace doing that stuff. Nick Collins even was doing I mean, we've had some guys that that used to do that. I'm okay with with uh, Stokes kind of playing off a little bit because it wasn't really, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. It was in slow motion. Maybe he just got beat, but it felt to me like he was kind of standing back a little bit and when he broke on that ball. But the point is there's so much speed, it's crazy. I mean, Jair's ability to break off of his, his assignment, sprint to the middle of the field, which by the way, we've seen him do this before, pick off that pass. That's unbelievable. And, and he's, he's like the third fastest guy. After that is Savage, and then after that is Stokes with the number one in terms of speed. I mean, it's just it's just absurd, and, and I, I, I don't know. Just very impressed. Um, the one interception came by way of Jair. Um, touchdown zero. Pass deflections. Jair had three pass deflections. Darnell Savage had a pass deflection. Eric Stokes had a pass deflection. Chandon Sullivan had a pass, pass deflection. That is a lot of pass deflections in one game. And again, there should have been two more. Jair and Stoke or Jair and Savage should have each had one more, but Debo just with his freaking man hands. I mean, forget that. The guy's got gorilla hands. I mean, just the strongest. I've never. I, I was so imp- I mean, so angry, but so impressed at the same time with those. And obviously, one of them was upsetting because uh, my half Mexican attorney went obviously immediately to the uh, to the rule book on that, basically where Savage should have stopped him. Apparently, they're saying that his forward progress was in the air. According to Blaine, I'd have to go back and find his wording, but he went back and looked at the rule book. He was saying that forward progress is initiated at the point at which you make the catch, and the catch is initiated after you make a football move, and you can't do that while you're in the air. Now, I don't know exactly the legalities of that. Maybe that was just off the cuff, and he's got to do a little bit more digging, but sounds like a reasonable argument. Um, it's the thing with lawyers, man. They'll always find a reason. They'll always find an excuse, even if it's a bad one. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that's like a legit argument or if he's just lawyering, but, um, it makes sense to me, but either way, again, it was just such a great hit by Savage and, and his ability to hang on. And then Jair literally batted the ball. I mean, he had his hand on that ball, tried to push through and, uh, Debo man hands just would not let it go. Otherwise, run through a couple other quick things here. Amari on his punt return had six yards. Kylan had one for 21 yards. Uh, Mason was three for three on field goals, three for three on extra points, his longest being 54 yards. And then Corey Bajorquez, three punts, 164 yards. His average was 54.7, kicked one inside the 20. His longest was 63 yards, just an absolute banger. Uh, a couple other notes via PFF. Linebacker Devondre Campbell was heavily involved in coverage with seven targets on 42 such snaps, but he made very few errors. He allowed only 23 yards on those seven targets while forcing two pass stops. Ty Summers was in the same boat on a much smaller sample. He was targeted six times on 12 coverage snaps, but unlike Campbell, he made several mistakes. We all kind of noticed that once, uh, um, what's his name, went out. Things kind of went poorly. All six were caught for 40 yards, and Campbell missed two tackles after the catch. 
In the secondary, Jair had one of the top highlights of the night with his interception, and he also forced an incompletion and a pass stop en route to an elite graded performance upon his first review. So that's that's awesome. I mean, anytime you give up a touchdown, you worry how much that's going to reflect things, but he had such a good game. They're, they're already saying, on first review, we'll see how it goes. He got an elite grade, which is so exciting. Finally, rookie Eric Stokes, on the other hand, did not enjoy the same amount of success. Here we go. He made no plays on the ball, which I'm pretty sure I just read he had a pass breakup, while giving up an explosive reception of 15-plus yards and committed two third-down pass defense penalties, which, again, is upsetting because one of those was legit, one of them wasn't. And PFF does grade you on penalties as well. So he's going to end up... Eric Stokes is getting killed with these penalties, and I'm going to keep writing them because one of them shouldn't have been a penalty, but I can't be mad at them because it was an official penalty they got a hold in. But they're also crediting him with a touchdown when that wasn't his fault. So he's getting killed on a penalty that should never have been called and a touchdown that wasn't his fault. Whatever. I, I, I really don't care. I'm, I'm going to basically ignore his grade tomorrow because, uh, or later today because I'm, I'm content with what I saw from Eric Stokes. Again, it wasn't perfect. He did give up that reception. Um, fairly big one. He did have a penalty. But um, also, these receivers are not the greatest in the world. But again, I'm, I'm not mad about anything. Um, finally, one more little highlight here, compliments of NFL.com. Mason Crosby made 22 straight field goals dating back to 2019. Crosby was the first kicker in Green Bay history with zero missed field goals in a season, minimum two attempts. Crosby's obviously very good at this whole football thing. Anyways, before we get out of here, we might as well have a little bit of fun, uh, because a lot of grades are in with the exception of the Packers. Those will be coming fairly soon. Um, just thought you'd like to know Justin Fields had a 46 overall grade. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that the, the only two guys had a 70 overall grade. It was Jason Peters and Cody Whitehair, the two offensive linemen, and 72.9 was the highest grade. By the way, they both graded up poorly as pass blockers. It was only because of their run blocking ability that uh, that they had any uh, whatever. Who cares? But anyways, so far on the season in 2021, Justin Fields has a 48.4 overall grade. Two big time throws, two turnover worthy plays. Um, he has completed 40% of his passes, which is ridiculously low, 14 of 35, 138 yards, uh, 3.9 yards per attempt, which is like a running back, and uh, zero touchdowns and a pick. I wonder if there's a reason Andy Dalton is starting over Justin Fields. I don't know. I'll have to think about that for a little bit. His time to throw, by the way, is still at three seconds. Again, we can pretend that Justin Fields had nothing to do with those sacks, and if it was Andy Dalton out there, he would have been sacked nine times, but that's fake. That's not true. He holds onto the ball way too long, way too indecisive, and when he makes decisions, they're terrible decisions, and when he finally makes a good decision and throws to a wide-open guy, he airmails it. So there's Justin Fields for you. 39.9 passer rating, by the way. And no, it's not all because of Cleveland. Against Cincinnati, he had a 27.7 passer rating. So there you go, folks. I wonder if it's too late to bring back Trubisky. <laughs> uh, the Bears. The Bears. By the way, while we're here, also worth noting, their defense, the highest graded defender was uh, Margus Hunt, 73.6. That was the highest grade. Khalil Mack had a 67 overall grade. Um, not because of his pass rush. He did fine as a pass rusher, but uh, his run defense was a 48. His tackling was a 25 because he had two missed tackles in this game. Zero tackles, two missed tackles. So, Roquan, 26.8 overall grade. He's so good. I love Roquan. All right, I got to get out of here and get this thing posted because it's getting late. But uh, again, follow me on Twitter, Pack underscore Daddy. We'll have a little bit of fun with these PFF stats and whatnot. And then tomorrow we'll kind of go through some of the stats and grades, et cetera, et cetera. You folks have yourselves a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.